Well, there is a lot that I am excited about for 2024, but I want to bring us to kind of the moment we find ourselves in, which is uh, this series that we've been having together since the beginning of the new year called Thought Life. And uh, there's some of us, you know, maybe just they're, they're going through a tough time, while others of us might know really well the, the struggle of depression or the dark night of the soul. Some of us battle maybe clinical anxiety disorders, or others of us just know all too well the, the tension that we feel when we've got to, like, get up and give a presentation or something that's really new to us, how nervous we may get. Some of us have processed or may be super aware of the reality of trauma in our story or compounding trauma in our story. And others of us may dismiss that word as kind of a newfangled word in 2024 and we would just go, yeah, I've had some tough times. We don't maybe know how to frame it necessarily. Others of us, you know, we, we may come from a place where we're like, hey, I am hyper aware of how I'm feeling. I'm always the first to know. I'm very in tune with how I process the universe. And there are others of us in this room who may be the last to know, but everyone else always knows how we're doing because they feel the effect of us when we come into a room. We know what it, you know. So I don't know where you land in those, you know, particular places, but, but I, I just want to say welcome to this space again as we think well about the intersection of, of flourishing in that particular area of our life and, and in the spiritual area of our life. To try and see the integration between the love of Jesus and the way of Jesus and flourishing in terms of our spiritual health. And asking ourselves the question, like, is there any intersection there? You know, is there any... Um, is there any convergence there between those two things? Or are those just two separate things? That they're like, ah, oh, well, you know. Um, and here's the, here's the thing. Like, you know, there's, one of the things we've said in this series is that uh, we can believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and still very much have dark nights of the soul. Times of spiritual doubt realities of clinical struggles with our mental health that believing in Jesus and embracing Jesus does not make that stuff magically melt away that that coming to church does not make us go well you know like I'm just usually a glass half empty person but now I just naturally wake up in the morning singing zippity dude you know like like I just am like so happy like all the time like I, I like a I like I am a chorus of lovely because, because I woke up, because I came to church this week. What we've not said is that, that that's not the intersection. What we've talked about and tried to do well in, in this series that we've studied is to say, like, what the love of Jesus does for us is give us a framework and an ecosystem to reframe the things that are going on up here and the things that are going on in here and the interconnection of those things and how they may manifest in our behaviors and actions. And the love of God wants to provide renewal in each of those spaces so that we can struggle well. It's not an absence of struggle, but that we might struggle well and contend well in the dark night of the soul, in times of doubt, in seasons of depression, wherever we may find ourselves today. And what a lot of us will say, and this is maybe a thing that you've kind of come to, I know, like when you hear a verse like what, the one that Parker read, um, that you just kind of would go like, well, yeah, I mean, that's really like a lovely and beautiful thing to embrace if the circumstances and the people around me would just align themselves and give me so, some permission to do it. 
Like, if the circumstances of my life would be cool, and if people would just chill out and stop projecting on me, then I think I could reach that place of equanimity. I could reach that place where, where everything's beautiful and nothing hurts, and I'm walking in the joy of the Lord. I want to give us the precursor to Philippians 4, 4 through 9, by looking at 1 through 3, because I think it paints some of the tensions that you and I may feel that we may go, yeah, Paul, easy for you to say. So remember, Paul's writing a letter to a church in a city called Philippi that he can't physically be with because he's on house arrest. And he's given this beautiful word, this beautiful encouragement, this beautiful admonition to them and to us. But let's look at the context that it matches and lands into. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for... My joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now let's just pause for a minute because exegetically speaking... It may not sound like there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. There's not deep theological treatises buried there. But, but here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear a situation where in a church community striving to pursue the joy of the Lord that Paul's talking about, there are people in conflict with one another. There are people that are struggling to process a very visible conflict with one another. And there's an author of this letter who is on house arrest, which we've established over and over, who maybe like you often feels quite helpless when there's stuff spiraling around you that you don't have the capacity to, to wave a wand and fix. And in situations like that, still embracing as an individual and as a community this charge, this beautiful invitation of Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And that's what we want to consider today. Like kind of an ecosystem of rejoicing is the word I'll use. An ecosystem where we can be brothers and sisters who, who bring our burdens into this room, but in our rejoicing help point and, and, and shape one another more toward the love of God. Not to minimize, not to say, well, you know, you, they come into this room and just be grateful for what you have because it could be a lot worse. But to say, how do we carry in our own spirits an attitude that like points one another toward the love of God, even as we are processing the conflicts in, in our neighborhood, in our city, uh, as we're dealing with the difficulties maybe through the kids' school or at work. Um, and, and then as we just sometimes, frankly, just feel really helpless when we see all this stuff happening around us and we don't know what to do. Paul begins and responds to this charge by saying, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. He begins with the premise of thanksgiving and in this proactive sense of taking joy. Like the idea that joy is something we can proactively pursue and, 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 and go for, not situationally wait to kind of happen. Wait for all the circumstances to line up. Wait for everything to come up you. And then you can have joy. And remember what we said in week two of this series that like our brains, since we were like super young, have been trying to like build these pathways of like how do we find a little bit of relief from the things that are going on in our story, right? Some of us have normalized these patterns of like, well, when you feel this, go do this. 
And they're not all bad, you know, like, hey, you've had a hard day at work, go to the gym, like, get a, get a workout in, and when you are done, you're going to feel at least a little temporarily, like, get a little dopamine hit there, you get some, 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 some good vibes going, and maybe that'll help you out. Others of us, they may not be so good, like, like hey, uh, have a bowl of ice cream and, and, like, tune out the rest of the world in perpetuity, isolate yourself. That, that may be good for a night, but not good for a year in consecutive nights, right? The idea of, like, you had a bad day, you deserve a drink, could lead you to some really dangerous and dark places when it's not a one-off, but when it's a pattern of how I'm going to cope. Right? And one of the things we've said is that from the very earliest of ages, sometimes in the environment we came up in, sometimes in the decisions that we've made, our brain has like figured out some pathways to just kind of find some, some like survival. But what Paul's pulling us to is a place of thriving. Okay, there, we don't just want to survive, we want to thrive. So rejoice in the Lord. In other words, it, rather, than, rather than just like be subject to these old pathways of like how we process the world, let's, let's bring into it a perspective in God, in God's character, in Jesus, in what Jesus has done that can help shape how we think about the struggle well. Now, Paul's not a neuroscientist, and he didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But what, but what Paul is saying here is actually backed up by neuroscience. That there's a power in gratitude to activate the, the brain and the hypothalamus towards, towards some positions of thriving. It improves neuroplasticity, the ability to, to move us towards thinking new and better thoughts or relearning or unlearning maybe some things that would lead us to places of toxicity. Um, I, I needed to tune out sports talk this week, and I needed to tune out all things Travis Kelsey this week. And so I found myself... I found myself, because Justin Tucker is a national treasure, and I'm not over that. Like, um, I found myself listening to an interview between Oprah and Rob Lowe. I don't know how I got there, but I got there because I needed nothing to do with sports. Because I just wasn't over it, and I needed a place to take my feelings. And uh, so Rob Lowe and Oprah, who I'm not particularly interested in either of the, the just the tone of the conversation. I don't know, I found it. It's just like, you know, the, the algorithms feed me. And, uh, and, and in this case, it worked resourcefully. Because here you have two people, one of whom famously, in Rob Lowe, had some very public like meltdowns in the 80s and has pursued sobriety for many, many years as a result of that. And then you have an Oprah, one of the most famous people in the world, yes, but one of the most outspoken people to talk openly about childhood trauma and to be very open about her own childhood trauma. And they're both talking for a minute about how they like get up in the morning because they're neighbors. I didn't know they were neighbors, but now you know that they're neighbors too. They're neighbors, and they talk about the sun and all this kind of stuff. Well, they start talking about the power of thankfulness and the power of gratitude in each of their stories. And Rob Lowe begins to pontificate about, like, yeah, like those resentments that he's felt about you know, the price of celebrity and the projections that, and the pressures that are put on you, that this, this idea of gratitude is one of these spaces that sort of shapes and directs his heart to be able to stay in the space where we're like not going back to those old patterns of dealing with the pressure. 
And, and so when Paul is talking here, it's part of a larger conversation about capital T truth, right? Like the character of God, the nature of God, and the spirit of gratitude in each of our stories. To, to think well about the things that we, we have and the things that we've been blessed with, even as we may struggle or contend with the difficult things we're facing or the dark night of the soul. Right? So what we're not saying is, say thank you, be grateful, and shut up and get over it. Not at all. Not at all. Rather, to say, hey, how can gratitude provide a framework for the space and time we find ourselves in? Even through tears. Even through, you know, I can find 47 things wrong here, but I can find two things right, but they're not nothing. And I, we, just, we had this funny moment this week in our family where, uh, we were kind of rushing around. The, it, is, it is a whole thing to get four people, two of which are teenagers, playing sports to like sit at a table together. And even when you have this time, it's like sort of like, it's like a mystery every night that dinner's at 6.30. But here we are, <laughs> right? Like, and so we're rushing around and we're doing this thing and we're like doing all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I've got like the hands and hand and like plates on my feet to try to get us all to the table. And like Amber goes, let's pray. And I'm like, yes, let's pray. Like, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that into a microphone, but for that particular night, I was not a pastor particularly excited about thanking God for food. And, and like, it was sort of this moment where I was like, yeah, 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 fine. And, and it, but, but you know what? It, just, it occurred to me in a fresh perspective. It was a reframing exercise, right? To, to stop and to be grateful for the things we have. We, we would not have spontaneously combusted had we just rushed through dinner and not taken time to pray, okay? I'm not trying to be like, well, we're a family that prays. How about you? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it was a particular moment to, where I was challenged I was like, nothing in my flesh wanted to pause. I felt rushed. I felt hurried. I was irritated that, like, this is a mystery, apparently, that we have dinner together as a family every night. And, and this, 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 like, two minutes of reframing was a helpful thing for changing my entire posture. It didn't change the, the burdens. It didn't change the situations. But it did change my perspective. And, and I think it's a really helpful framework for us. As we jump into time together in communion today, I would just encourage you, if you're not sure ever how to enter a space of communion, like what am I supposed to pray and what if I'm supposed to, like what if you just take a few minutes and just list in gratitude every good and perfect gift that you've like felt or experienced this week? You know, it's, 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 it's one of the things that can begin to shape us. Paul will continue to say, creating space to remember that God is near. Peter Stinky, uh, which had to be a terrible name to have in middle school. Um, it's just truly terrible name to have in middle school. Peter Stinky said, to be alive is to walk with anxiety. He's like, so you're alive. Congratulations. You're going to have anxieties. Like, you don't have to be on Instagram, and you don't have to watch the news, and you don't have to be a Ravens fan to, to be anxious about things that are happening in your life and in the world. They'll find you. But, but we're not helpless against those things. That's his, that's his big point, that the differentiation is possible in the way of Jesus. So, so Paul goes on after talking about rejoicing in the Lord and repeating that invitation to say, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Um, To wrestle well with the presence of God in our story is is an invitation for us here. A.W. Tozer once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I, I do struggle with this quote a little bit, just admittedly, because it's like it's kind of a mouthful, and what does it all mean? But let me just give you an example of where I'm coming from as I think about this quote this week. Theologically, I believe and preach the things the Bible says. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Fear not, I am with you. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I believe those things to be true. I believe they're God-breathed. I believe they're for you. But functionally, I may often operate like I believe God is far off with like a judge's scorecard going, well, how well did Scott really do this week at doing all the things I asked him to do? And when I drift to that, can I just tell you what I do? I'm anxious. I'm spun up. I'm short-tempered. I feel like the weight of the world on my shoulders. I overfunction for people. I do things for people that they could do for themselves. I like, and I do it all sort of with this like, okay, God, did you see that? So I may functionally state that I believe in the death and burial and resurrection and presence of God in Jesus, but like functionally, what I might believe is that like, I need to like be the one holding the universe together. Let your gentleness be evident to all is not passivity and dismissiveness. In fact, I would invite you to consider Joseph's father, Jacob, who wrestled with God. I would invite you to consider the the, the Psalms of lament where people are saying egregious and bold things before God, like angry thoughts before God. I would invite you to consider Moses saying to God over and over, like these people that you've given me to lead, like... This is nonsense, man. Or I would even invite you to consider Jesus who, who said um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way than this cross thing, I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> Those are not statements of like, well, just, can you just embrace that you're too blessed to stress? Can you just embrace that God is so good? bless your heart head, turn to the right, like my cocker spaniel, <laughs> like, you know, like, that's not what's being said here. But what, what is being drawn is that there is, in each of those situations I mentioned, a change of posture when we wrestle well with God's presence in our lives. When we pay attention to the other things in, that, are, that are forming us, the other anxieties that feel very present and near, but oftentimes when at the same time, how far away God can feel when all that other stuff feels really loud in our lives. So Paul's inviting us, again, to, to think about gratitude and to think about God's presence, but then to do it this way. And this is where I want to get to, and we'll, we'll begin to end. Like, to, to think well about the power of repetition. To not view this verse as this prescriptive, like, okay, he says, don't be anxious about things. Well, I can't even get through that. Like, I'm anxious about all kinds of things. Oh, okay, well, let me just skip that part. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, well, then I would never stop praying. Oh, my gosh, there's so many situations. Thanksgiving, okay, maybe I can do that. Present your requests to God. Well, how frequently, you know, like, there's a way we can get spun up in our Western minds about the mathematics of this thing. 
and how we can make it all work. How can we jump ahead to, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're like, yeah, we want that. Like, what's all the stuff we got to do to get there? So what we're kind of left with is like, well, I guess I'll try. I guess I'll try to get there. And, and I think Richard Foster says it really well. Um, that, that really what Paul's inviting us to consider here is the idea of training versus trying. Like, like if, you, if you try to run a marathon today, there's a pretty good chance you will not do it. <laughs> uh, sorry, unless you have been training for a marathon up to this moment. You could have even run a marathon last year and, like, not be up for a marathon, like, today, right now, in this moment. Like, because you just drank a lot of coffee yesterday. It was cold, and you didn't really, like, hydrate and carb up or whatever the things are that you do when you run a marathon. But, like, to enter a space where you are training and preparing yourself and entering the discipline and going through the aches and pains, like, and, and what Richard Foster would say here is that one of the, the verses like this, that's an invitation to training, it's an invitation to say, hey, how do we cultivate individually in us some liturgy, some, some rhythms, some habits that direct our affections, right, to, toward the way of God, that help us process well our anxieties, whether, okay, how do we do that in the morning? How do we do that in the middle of the day? How do we do that in the evening? Not so that we get gold stars and check marks from God, because we read the Bible, or we came to church, or whatever those things may be for us, but because we're, we're trying to direct and process our anxieties well in light of the love of God. Elizabeth Oldfield has this, this great quote um, that I think is really just, because I think it's, it's important for us then to consider that we're always being formed. Like this really is a formation conversation. Like, you know, you don't have to be a church person. You don't have to, you, know, you can say, well, I don't really like the words like discipleship and Sunday school and whatever. But you are always being formed. Images, ideas, and information are, are, are being algorithmically, I think I just invented a word, like thrown at you all the time trying to vie for your affections and vie for your thoughts. She says this, she says, we've outsourced our formation largely to our passive consumption of culture been too relaxed about how powerfully socially liturgy, social liturgies, more subtle and more regular than our actual liturgies, shape our hearts and habits. I'm more and more convinced that the way we structure our time collectively, not only individually, is the key factor in our discipleship. The only way we can be formed to stay loyal to the logic of a different kingdom is to focus much repeated individual attention on its stories and rituals and songs as we do to our phones, our televisions, and our shopping centers. This is not some like rail against all the media that you enjoy and all the fun things you did rather than pray and read the Bible. That's not at all what's happening here. What is being suggested to you is, is just to say, like, what if we really took stock and paid attention to the things that are forming us, stoking our anxieties, amplifying our fears, and, and bringing those things before God and beginning to create some inputs that may change our outputs. And then to do it this way, to consider that this is not just an individual, you go get them and you go figure it out effort but like if we come back to the situation like philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 that we're doing it collectively in the context of community i'll, I'll end this way like you know you take euodia and syntyche's like 
tensions or whatever's going on there, right? What can all of the things we've just done, if we're doing them together, do? It may be able to sort of frame the perspective. Do you or people that you know ever argue about dumb stuff that doesn't matter? Do you ever get spun up about dumb stuff that doesn't matter? Because I do all the time. And, and as much as, as and, and, and what a community can do is help redirect and shape my perspective. But what it can also do is to give me a posture to fight cleanly and fight well. Because there are some things in a church community and around a church community and in a neighborhood that are worth contending for, that are worth stepping out in faith to address, that are worth talking about, and, and to have a community helping us process our anxieties and our tensions and to redirect them may not always even lead a community to a place of agreement, but will change the posture by which we have those conversations. Right? So it's, it's, it's not just the, the crazy polarity of our time, but it's a better invitation to a new type of community. So, so today as we come to communion, that, that really is the invitation to, to as a collective, commit ourselves to, to bringing our gratitude, to bring, um, to bring our anxieties, to, to see and walk together in those things, and to begin to liturgize some habits of the heart that can help us continue to walk well toward the light and love of Jesus in this time.